All right, thanks all for joining us for another National Town Hall. Uh, let's get right to it. So there's an agenda. Uh, myself and Ed Sitcher are on. We're going to give uh, a few items and we'll take some Q&A and then we'll jump right into the National Committee updates. We do have a lot of updates, so uh, we'll try to keep these uh, expeditious to get through them in a timely manner. We're, we're looking to be done here by uh, 530. So right into it, uh, Ed, you are up if you're on and, and going here. Captain Ed Sitcher. Hey, Chris, can you hear me okay? I can, loud and clear. Good, good. I'm sorry, I'm at the uh, airport uh, issues. It's a uh, aviation issues conference right now. So uh, I, I just wanted to hit on a couple of points real quick. We got a lot of people that are going to get on the call. Chris, thanks for organizing this. You're doing an awesome job. Uh, but, you know, the last month has been largely a month of just regrouping. We've gotten our negotiating committee spun up, and, and they're a new negotiating committee. Uh, we've gone ahead and met with the board. We've got some new marching orders, and uh, and right now we're ready to re-engage with the company. So really, at this point, what's going to happen is the ball is going to go back into the company's court. How motivated are they going to be to negotiate? Now, this, this uh, I think it was an opportune time to take a step back from the negotiations. We had to replace that negotiating team. This was a time to do it because, as you know, Delta reset the bar with their TA. Now, uh, as far as resetting the bar goes, uh, the company is not, and you know what our management team is like, guys, you're working for them. They are not gonna go ahead and agree on anything without knowing where Delta is at, where the industry baseline is at. So uh, that that language, I just talked to uh, Alpha MEC Master Chair, Jason Ambrosi yesterday. They're supposed to have that out by the end of the week. He said by the 16th, it'll absolutely be out. So th that'll be what I think our, our management needs to go ahead and move forward. They could see where the rest of the industry is at. Uh, there's also a, a, a couple of others out here that I think are pretty notable. I'm gonna mention them real quickly, Chris, and then allow, allow you to jump into your, uh, your, your issues that you've got scheduled for this. But I was talking to Pedro LaRue, uh, NetJets ASAP uh, president. And uh, you know it's interesting because they've got guys, 62 year old guys that are quitting with NetJets to go ahead and take positions as Eagle, direct hired Eagle check airmen. So it's, it's an interesting time. Uh, our management team has made it so lucrative to become an introductory regional pilot right now because they're losing so many, especially direct hire into the left seat check airmen that they're actually siphoning back off from the other airlines. So it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting to see where this goes. Um, I also was able to talk with a, a couple of others. Uh, I talked with the COO of uh, FAA today and as you know, with the meltdown on the NODAM system, this has been a big deal. We've got a blast coming out from safety real quick that, that reminds you guys, before you fly, you're obligated to get those NODAMs. I know it's something that's easy to overlook, but they know when you've gone through the process of pulling those NODAMs up before you fly. And I'll tell you what, if you don't pull them up and you do something inadvertent, like taxi onto a closed taxiway or do an approach and not realize that the system is down and you require it for the approach, then guess what? It's on you and your certificate. So please, uh, I'll let uh, Chris or somebody else expound on this later, but the fact that the uh, FAA NOTAM outage has been hit is an important issue. It, it, it bodes poorly for the FAA right now. Those guys are basically trying to get this new FAA authorization bill through. As you know, there's a lot of uh, bipartisanship going on in Congress. They don't have the money to go ahead and look at it, but that doesn't, for me, that's no excuse for not testing the backup system. Because at about four 
in the morning, that backup system failed and they had to do a hard reset. So not only did a primary system fail, but the backup system failed. Um, let's see, what else? I talked to the uh, AA lobbyists. That's pretty interesting to see where the company is coming from, what's important to them, what they're advocating for. I can tell you that our PAC and our GAC do a whole lot better job of AA's GAC, in my opinion. Um, and uh, there were a few others. I can, I can touch on those as we keep going, but uh, I'm going to keep it short. So, Chris, thanks. Uh, I hope everybody that's on the call is able to answer their questions. Please remember to put them either on the web or, or you know, even text them to us. We'll try to get them included. Chris, back to you. Thanks, Ed. So, yeah, and you kind of touched on the FAA NOTAM outage. There wasn't a whole lot else that I had to say about that other than uh, obviously, for those who tuned tuned in a little bit early, not only is uh, Ed stuck out, but uh, our negotiating committee is uh, is stuck out right now. Scheduling chairs stuck out, so uh, just like I'm sure many of you are uh, are stuck delayed throughout the system, uh, so are the uh, the folks working behind the scenes here. Hopefully, everybody saw there was a blast uh, early in the morning that I sent out that was followed up by a contract compliance blast. Um, and they're going to clarify the uh, the RFD provisions for that. I was going to have Dennis Tazier uh, talk on the media coverage uh, regarding the AOM revisions. I'll take one last look here. I don't think he is on the call. Yeah, Chris, Dennis, Dennis is up in front of the panel right now okay. getting peppered with questions from the industry execs. So he said he would sign on as soon as he got off that panel. But, uh, you know, I prefer to get our message out in front of these three, 400 airline execs. So that's what Dennis is up to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure Dennis is doing what Dennis does best, and I, I kind of wanted to give him some some props for uh, the effort that he had done with regards to the AOM revisions and just getting out there um, and getting our message out there nationally when uh, when this did occur. Um, let's see, a couple other admin things, and then uh, we'll jump into a couple more points. So the next town hall is going to be scheduled for uh, 15th of February. That's a Wednesday, standard 4 p.m. And as always, if you've got feedback on how we can make this better, uh, you can send that to townhall at alliedpilots.org. Okay, uh, one quick thing before we go into the uh, the question. So some some points here. Uh, obviously, there is a no float campaign out there. Hopefully, everybody has seen that the national officers and the board of directors have committed to uh, not floating their vacation. I wanted to clarify some some. There's some questions I had seen floating around, and the first one is floating versus banking. Uh, floating is a specific action that's taken in the first round of vacation bidding. Um, as a Contrast to that, there is banking vacation, and that's what happens when you just you don't have enough vacation to make a full week, which you can add it. Let's say it was six days, you could add it to an existing week, or you just don't do anything. You just don't bid, and those days will go into your vacation bank. So the end game to the pilot is the same thing. And so the point I'm trying to make here is, you know, let's use the example of a pilot, um, uh, a pilot who doesn't have a full week of vacation to bid. Uh, I, I put I actually put 26 days on there, but I, that math as I'm looking at is not correct. 27 days, let's say uh, you have 27 days of vacation. So you could bid your three weeks. And if you just don't do anything with those last six days, they will go into your vacation bank. You don't need to float those uh, those days. Uh, and then the last point to make is uh, with regards to vacation and reserve. And, and, and we get it. Uh, not floating your vacation, that is a sacrifice. And this is something that we're asking you to do. But here's a way that you can work this to your advantage. If you bid a entire, if you bid all of your vacation in the same month and you bid reserve in that month, uh, that four weeks is gonna get you uh, above 110 hours of pay. So the graphic that you're seeing in there is from the Compass Vacation Guide. And you can see with it with 28 days, uh, you, it could take you as high as 111 hours per month. You don't have to come to work at all. Even if you bid only three weeks, which would be anywhere from uh, 97 to 102 hours, there's the graph for that. 
Um, it, you would bid three weeks, but based on the fact that the reserve maximum is 85 hours of credit, and that would take you up to 77 hours, you're only going to have, you'd have to bid this appropriately, but one assignable day on reserve. So just consider that. That would be um, an, an alternative to floating your vacation is take it all in one chunk. You can still take a big piece of money with it. Um, and make sure if you do do that, that you call the PBS help desk and make sure that you're uh, setting your bid up appropriately so you don't mess that up. Okay, so on to the questions. Ed, this first one is going to be for you. Several board members have stated that APA is leading the charge on the KCM issue. Has there been coordination between APA and ALPA? Wouldn't the campaign have been more effective if the entire piloting profession was on the same page instead of one company union? Hey, Chris, thanks. Thanks for the question. Look, I not only shopped this around to ALPA, but I shopped it around to the individual MECs. I shopped it around to SWAPA. I shopped it around to the flight attendants at APFA. I mean, I was on the phone with everybody the week before we tried this, and I got zero traction out of any of them. Uh, there just seems to be reluctance from the other presidents to go ahead and ask for any of their members to make any personal sacrifices, even if it, at the end, the end results of those sacrifices are, you know, the betterment of our collective whole. Now, that having been said, after Alpha was lukewarm on it, and Alpha was the most cooperative out of all the other ones, I, I, got, I got crickets out of Swapa and Alpha and some of the others, I'll tell you what. Uh, they sure came on strong in the end, but they didn't advocate to bypass. Our advocacy to bypass KCM, bought, it brought us a lot of national press. It reduced the numbers going through KCM. It really put the heat on Pekoski up there and Homeland Security and TSA. And, and I'll tell you what, it ended up resulting in a renewed emphasis of them to go ahead and do it. And one of those guys here at that conference here that I just met with is Pekoski. So, uh, he, he is, uh, and by the way, our, 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 uh, our Kappa guys, that's the group that we, uh, we advocate for and are part of here in Washington, and NetJets ASAP just joined that group. We have arranged a meeting. It's coming in February. We're going to sit down with Pekoski, and we're trying to go ahead and iron through this. Real quickly, Chris, just you know, before I run too long, this whole, this whole thing started because of, quote, unquote, a, you know, crew members uh, going ahead and bypassing KCM with contraband. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. We never got any detailed information. They consider it classified. They wouldn't share that information with us. But the fact that you guys bypassed and cooperated with it, and we put a national spotlight on it, resulted in a meeting where we came down to the conclusion that these guys don't even know who it was. If they did, they're not collecting the data. Was it, was it our crew members? Was it pilots? Was it flight attendants? Was it domestic crews? Was it foreign crews? They don't know. They simply don't know. So they use this same Name. 50, 60, 70% secondary screening as an excuse to go ahead and, and mitigate that. Now, where do we go from here? We're going to be at the table with these guys trying to get this new follow-on program, ECA, going. And uh, ELPA's on board with that. And so is SWAPA. And so is APA and all of our other brother and sister unions, the Teamsters, you name it. But it depends, you know, I'm not sure where that's going to go. Those conversations are going to occur starting in February. Hopefully we get a follow-on program that gets us back to what it original attempt was. That's expedited crew member access. To go ahead and go to KCM just to be denied and go back through priority. Heck, you could have started with priority and saved the time. Anyway, Chris, I think I said enough. I'll, I'll hand it back to you for more questions. All right. Thanks, Ed. Next one's going to come back to you and, uh, and uh, 
uh, Pete Campbell from Boston is going to uh, follow up on this as well. While the BOD all signing on to a no-flow campaign is nice, when will we see a similar email saying that the BOD, the negotiating committee, and other committee members will no longer be picking up OG uh, premium or premium reserve sequences until a contract is ratified? An email such as this would be a nice sign of unity. I, I've got to agree with whoever asked this question, Chris. That would be a great sign of unity. But but let me remind, uh, I'm just going to start off with the fact I don't control the board. The guy who wrote this question controls the board. You guys vote those members in, and you've got to hold them to uh, a, a accountability as you see fit. But but that having been said, I can also say, and John Owens is probably not going to answer on this, the negotiating committee has already signed on and said they will not do that. So kudos to the negotiating committee. And finally, on the committee members, that was the third group that you included in there. You know, Chris, you and I have made it our business when we interview any new committee members to to tell them, look, there's a policy manual provision on this. A member shall neither gain nor lose as a result of their, their voluntary uh, work with the association, and we hold them to it. Now, there's been some examples in the past of gross abuse occurring on that. Those people have been removed. I will continue to remove them if they are my appointments, and Chris is 100% on board for that. As far as the board of directors go, I really think that they need to go ahead and enact a rule that would go ahead and prohibit it because it's difficult to get those guys to enforce something that they can't really hold people accountable for to a rule. And then the last thing I wanna say on this, cause I'm trying to get a lot of information to a very short time is I cannot as president come out and say, stop picking up OG premium, premium reserve. I cannot do that. Delta tried that. They tried that a few negotiations ago. They were immediately enjoined. Not only would the judge have an easy, an easy kill for the company, but there's precedence on this. So it it has got to be grassroots. When our members want a contract, they're going to go ahead and they're going to step up and do what they need to do for a contract. But leadership from APA cannot and will not go ahead and advocate for that right now, because by doing so, we would be enjoined. It's a guarantee. And when we are, it reduces our effectiveness at the negotiating table. If we can't communicate with our members, if we've got to run our comp through a judge, holy shit. Think of how ineffective we would be as a union. So we we have to walk that narrow line. I think you guys can read between the lines. You know the rest. Chris, back to you. Thanks, Ed. Uh, Pete Gamble, Boston Chair. Captain Pete Gamble, did you want to follow up with that? Sure. I'd like to just add, um, you know, part of uh, what the Financial Audit Committee has done over the years is trying to find areas in which things may get off a balance. Um, we've done that with PU usage. And the only way you change these things is through policy manual changes and resolutions. Um, to the point of um, OG premium and, and premium reserve, there are some resolutions that are in the queue right now to try to uh, address that, especially on the director and, and committee level people. Um, we have a provision where there's a fill up provision where pay gets filled up to 90 hours for people doing 16 days of union work. Um, in those particular cases, maybe they shouldn't get the fill up if they're going to elect to do premium. Um, premium is a contractual right, so it, it becomes a sticky wicket. It's not an easy thing to figure out. But when things get off balance, as I think that they have in the, in, in, you know, the, the, the past, uh, we have to try to address it. On the negotiating committee, um, an awful lot of premium was flown. So maybe we need to address to try to keep them away from flying when we're in Section 6 and actually pay them accordingly so that they get the same ability to get the value that uh, pilots are getting out there that are able to fly premium. So some people think it's a, it's a simple fix. Um, 
it, it's a little more complex. And every time you do make a change, there's another hole that falls into it. Um, majority of the directors um, don't fly premium. Um, over the last six months, that has been the case. Um, but that doesn't mean all directors are like that. So we're looking at some resolutions that hopefully can address this and try to get a balanced approach uh, going forward because it, it does cause uh, consternation with membership when they see that happening. So thank you. Thanks, Pete. Next question is going to go to uh, Government Affairs, Jonathan Benton. Regarding the age 65 limit, the justification of cognitive decline, why not use simulators to determine whether pilots are cognitively fit uh, to continue beyond age 65? APA has said that this age group has a higher sick usage, which doesn't seem like an accurate assessment. Jonathan, I'll take the second part of that question if you want to take the first part. Yeah, thank you, Chris. So uh, there's a couple things, and I'll do my very best to keep it short, but the... Uh, um, you know, age 65 right now is being an increased age 65 is being opposed by all the all labor associations that represent the 100,000 professional pilots, APA, Alpha, SWAPA, and Teamsters. Um, in addition, there is no, there, uh, IKO is at 65, which means that if it did get increased to 67, um, then that captain and our IT looked at it. It was like uh, two thirds of our pilots age 63 and older were wide body captains would have to go back down to the Airbus or the 737 and can only fly domestic. And that excludes Canada uh, and Mexico. So it causes a big problem for the company. It's not our problem. It's their problem um, as to uh, training and then as American goes to international and domestic combined divisions now they have to go to a over 65 domestic division that doesn't include Canada and Mexico and that's problematic for them as well once again that's their problem not ours um, so uh, until until there is a change in IKO uh, and the IKO uh, just had their uh, once every three year meeting in Montreal and it was it wasn't even brought up now, single pilot was brought up, extended minimum crew operations are brought up, lots of much more drastic threats to our profession versus letting someone fly an extra two or three years. So uh, the other thing is, uh, in my conversations with AA Government Affairs, uh, I've simply told them to do a valuation on training uh, as um, if, if it were raised. Um, United did this, and Scott Kirby spoke on CNBC about it, and what he said, and 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 I'll, I'll bounce it back to you, Chris. But but if anybody Google's and or YouTube's and looks up that interview of Scott Kirby on CNBC regarding the retirement age, um, he says that forty percent of their pilots age sixty four are out on medical. So I mean, someone who's got hired on it at thirty at sixty five, thirty five years later. It's obvious that you know our bodies are going to break down at some point. I flew on the triple seven with guys that were razor sharp um, on day sixty five, day you know age sixty five birthday. So I I understand that position. If APA, if the APA board of directors chose to oppose or, or to support an increase in the retirement age, then it would be three pilot associations representing eighty five thousand pilots versus one pilot association that represents 15,000. And then the last thing I'll say before I bounce it back to Chris is uh, I think it's okay to say this because I'm not naming names, but in conversations with the FAA off the record, they have said 
uh, we're not going to at day age 65 in one day start doing cognitive skills testing or uh, sleep studies or uh, mandating fit tests, uh, you know, like a, a stress test. Uh, so they said they would probably back that off. Uh, maybe at 63, if you had intentions to fly past 65 or whatever, they would change the, the medical process. So what I briefed the board the last time that GAC talked to the board about this is I said, if you want 67, you may not get to 65, uh, especially with the FAA. They, they told us that their plan would be to, to back that off and start um, you know, there was a plan at one time, if you had an 18-inch neck, you had to go get a uh, sleep study done. We were able to kill that that silliness, but a lot of that stuff would come back. All right, I'll bounce it to you, Chris. Thanks, Jonathan. So to the second part of this, um, there's a, a graph that our APA or medical folks uh, put together. Hang on a second. Uh, what you can see here is that the on the graph, they've compiled data from our pilots. It shows an increase in LTD by age. And you can see that at about age 51, it starts to increase rapidly as the pilots approach age 65. You see there's a drop off at the end there. Um, that's only because those two columns, age 63 and 64, there's pilots there who may not be able to reach it. And, and what this is, is it's pilots on LTD. So at age 63 or age 64, that drops off a little bit because they, they may not have um, or they may not be able to rather burn through their sick time and vacation time before they go on to LTD. But the data is there. This does increase uh, very sharply above the age of about 50 all the way to age 65. All right. So the next question, uh, why is it that the BOD portrays no sense of urgency in getting uh, a close to Section 6? I believe Captain Tim Doreen, uh, D.C. Vice Chair, wants to take this. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, you know, this might give the appearance that the board it doesn't have any urgency, but that's adamantly inaccurate. You know, our board has, has uh, put many, many hours sitting together to try to work with the company. And I think Captain Sitcher said it best is that, that it's not that the board of directors and the APA staff hasn't worked uh, diligently to, to come to an agreement. We, uh, we've had uh, negotiating committees that uh, have worked long hours to try to come to a to a, a reasonable agreement that will not only support additional revenue for American Airlines, but also quality of life issues for our pilots, of which we feel adamantly also that um, our pilots deserve. Now, we started this campaign back in 2019. We, 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 we dealt with the COVID. We, we also uh, tried to get to do a recovery with, with the, the different leave of absences that we had for our pilots. And we really just spun up here in the last uh, you know two years or so that we're really trying to get to a new contract. We also have to note that that the environment's changing, you know, and we're seeing uh, uh, airlines make uh, huge profits. We've seen international travel come back. So, and we're seeing other airlines that are, that are inking deals and AIPs that we want to follow suit. So it's not that, that we don't want uh, a contract for our pilots. There's nothing more than we want, but we have to realize a couple things that in this airline business, um, our industry is going to go through cycles of ups and downs. And we are in a, a cycle now that appears that we are on, on the upswing and American Airlines has an opportunity to compensate its pilot group with quality of life issues and pay issues that they deserve. And we're going to follow suit uh, in the pattern bargaining as they uh, want to uh, 
negotiate in. And we've got a great team, I think, in place now. And I think we've got some new board members that are energetic. And we're going to work towards that. So we we are very um, aggressive in, in trying to, to get together with the company. But we have to remember that we are working with uh, American Airlines. And they uh, don't seem to want to get a deal as, as uh, quick as we do. So thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks, Tim. Next question is going to be to uh, Ed. And I believe uh, Captain Dave Powell wanted to chime in on this, too. Uh, <clears throat> wouldn't it be wouldn't it benefit us to have access to the same finance communication and legal professionals that other carriers like Alaska Delta JetBlue have for their negotiating process? Ed, do you want to take that? Yeah. OK, Chris, let me start off. I, I could talk on this for about an hour, but I won't. I'll try to cut it short. Look, yeah, I see. I see you nodding your head. Look, I, I'm assuming by uh, by using all Alpha carriers that this is a why isn't APA on board with Alpha question. So uh, look, let me just go down this path, all right? In in some cases, APA is head and shoulders above Alpha. In some cases, it is not. That's why this Alpha Exploratory Committee is running. I'm telling you what, we have the, the Quincenon best comm in the industry. When when Reuters, when Bloomberg, when they want to know something, they go to Captain Dennis Tager. He's on the news. If you would put a value on that, it would run circles around Alpha. Who is Alpha's comm guy? I don't even know. I've never seen this guy on TV. I see Dennis on TV every day. Put a value on that. And our 15,000 members are absolutely running circles around all those other airlines. I don't know who Alaska's chairman is. These never gets quoted. How about JetBlue? Where's that? Where are they at? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, let's move down to government affairs. We just got lobbyist of the year. Our, our $2 million on Capitol Hill goes and really gets us dividends on a whole lot of legislation. We are usually in lockstep with Alpha, but not always. In this case, independence is better, in my opinion, because our issues get moved to the front. I mean, Chris, let me just jump real quick to the 1,500-hour ATP rule. Just back in COVID, Alpha was willing to go ahead and back it off the 500 hours. We know how valuable sticking to our guns on that 1,500 hours was. And it wasn't that United and Delta weren't for the 1,500 hours. It was that the regional airlines that Alpha represents wanted to lower the barriers to entry because, once again, they represent a bunch of different airlines, not just one. We are, that, that 1,500 hours is the gold standard in training, and it's resulted in highly qualified crews, a zero accident rate since Colgan when it was activated. Anyway, I won't keep going on. Now, we've got legal and negotiating. Obviously, Alpa runs circles around us at the negotiating table. I ran for this office because I was critical of our negotiation efforts. And since then, we have done nothing but gone ahead and improve our negotiating team. We've got one of the best negotiating teams in place now. It wasn't like that when I was elected. I've only been in here six months. Chris and I have only been able to change so much in six months. Because remember, we've got to work through the board of directors on this. It's got to be a team effort. But I think we've done it. I think we've got a tremendous team in place. I think we've made the right decisions over the last few uh, months. And some of the pieces that we're putting in place and continue to put in place will give us a negotiating team or have given us a negotiating team on par with Alpha. So in that case, we've got to look at industry best practices and we've got to, we've got to go ahead and emulate them. You know, legal is another example where I think Alpha, out, they, they outgun us on legal. They've got a lot of lawyers. They've got a lot of lawyers in their toolbox. But there's no reason APA with its 15,000 members and the fact that we've become bigger and stronger cannot go ahead and beef up those areas on the legal team where we've been weak. And I'll give you an example. It's on grievances. I hired two new lawyers in the last six months. 
Jared and Greg, they are spinning up hard to help out Tricia Kennedy. We formed an ad hoc committee. I just formed an ad hoc committee with the assistance of the board of directors. We're going through, we're looking at best practices because right now our, our grievance isn't best practice. Look at the KBAC. They identified that when I did KBAC as a vice chairman. We have a weakness in grievances. So in some cases we're better, in some cases we're not. In any case, uh, I think independence is better than our message being watered down. And, and I think that we are making progress uh, day by day. Hey, but before this term is up, Chris and I, the buck stops here at our office. Go ahead and ask us if we've made huge leaps forward in improving the effectiveness of this organization. Chris, I'm going to stop there. Like I said, I could talk hours on this. All right. Thanks, Ed. Uh, next one is going to Jim Clark. APA BOD representatives <clears throat> routinely state that they represent their members and our fiduciaries to APA, which is the priority when these statements conflict. Thanks, Chris. So, so APA board of director members are uh, are fiduciaries of the association, and they are charged with acting in the best interest of the association. That is always their priority. Uh, how they view what the best interest of the association is, is a personal decision based on their views of, of the issues before them and, and the views of their constituents. But uh, their, their obligation is first and foremost to the association uh, as a whole. And when they sit as a board, that is how they act. They act on behalf of the association as a whole. And, uh, you know, what goes into the individual decisions that they make, that, that is, as I said, based on their own views and the views of their constituents, but uh, their obligation is always first and foremost to the association. All right, thanks, Jim. <clears throat> Next up, I believe uh, Kurt Detzer is going to take this. Will the NOs and BOD members on this call commit to completing a merger agreement followed by pilot ratification on an APA alpha merger agreement this year? Boston Vice Chair Kurt Detzer. Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, welcome, everybody. I see over 700 people on the call right now, so welcome. Uh, we are committed to a process. Uh, resolution 2022-25 uh, set that process in place, and, and, and we're committed to taking an objective, objective look at it. The, the Exploratory Committee has been formed. Uh, Tom Duncan uh, has given us a short brief on that, and and I, I guess it's online at this point. I, I I see some message traffic that it's not, is not up yet, but we will. I'm, I'm sure we'll get that up, and I'm not sure why it's not at this point. But uh, uh, that that brief was was just a short introductory brief as to where we are. They're doing their due diligence. They will come back to us with a report. Uh, once that report is complete, two thirds of the board, then that the, the that that committee is then sunsetted two-thirds of the board would then vote on whether or not to form the negotiation committee of this uh apa alpa uh and and then we go from there so so in essence we, we are committed to the process i i'm committed to the process um most of the board uh well I, I guess all the board is committed to the process because we signed on to it um anything else chris I think you were going to. I was trying to unmute. You, you caught me off guard. No, yeah, I uh, think you were going to speak to it as well. Is why why I'm sort of sending it off to you. No, you 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 hit on what I would have said. So thanks, Curtis. Uh, next one, we're going to go to uh, Chicago Chair Captain Dave Powell. Previous negotiating committee members were flying premium when they were supposed to be negotiating. Uh, uh, I think that's supposed to be negotiating that our dues paid them for. Some BOD members openly post their HI ones, while others don't. What plans does the BOD have on transparency for union compensation? 
Listen, this is an issue that has divided the board. It has frustrated the membership. There is no board plan for how we're going to manage this. Uh, the members of the prior negotiating committee were, you know, effectively, uh, you know, um, vilified for at least, you know, for, for flying premium uh, during negotiations. Fair enough. You've got board members that far exceed any former negotiator when it comes to premium flying. Uh, it, it's been my personal uh, opinion that. Um, you know, I can't tell a pilot what to do on his or her day off, period. Uh, and premium often comes on days off, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a tough place um, to be as far as legislating. You can't legislate good behavior, but you can try to enforce or introduce policies that may make it uh, uh, a little easier. Um, I've, I've got a resolution in the queue, I believe it's 53 Rev 1, that uh, is at least an effort for those board members who choose to fly premium, uh, that if they're going to, in any month where they're going to fly premium, they at least lose their uh, 604F pay to max. For those members who aren't aware of 604F is that provision in the policy manual that allows us to get paid up to 90 hours. So I'm a line holder. I can't stand reserve. So 7-3 Chicago, I'm usually in the mid 80s on my line. So I'll get five hours of pay to max to bump me up from my line award up to 90 hours. Uh, if you're a long call, short call, we have Plenty of guys who are on reserve, and 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 so they'll get sixteen or, or I mean fourteen or seventeen hours of pay to max if they're if you're high maxed and you're getting paid at the bottom line construction window, you can get up to seventeen hours. But if you're going to avail, if a board member and, and this is the intent of the resolution is going to avail him or herself of premium, then they uh, if, if if there's resolution passes would not get that piece of union dues, your money that pays them their pay to max. It's one or the other. If you're going to be in premium then it would be my opinion, and I hope the resolution passes, that you lose your, your member benefit uh, pay to max. So that's a way to try to get at this. Um, I think somebody touched on it earlier, maybe Ed. Uh, a flat prohibition against flying premium could run afoul of, uh, of um, the RLA, given that we're inside Section 6. So we have to be careful. Uh, again, it, it, there are efforts out there. This is one of them, and I hope, I hope the board will consider it when it comes to the floor next meeting. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Dave. And the last question, and we'll move on to uh, the next subject. John R. Johnson was a consultant for the previous negotiating committee and rejected TA. Why was uh, why was he proposed to be involved with the Alpha Merger Exploratory Committee? So the simple answer is uh, John R. was requested by Captain Duncan, who was the chair of the APA Alpha Exploratory Committee. Uh, when he made the request, Captain Duncan emphasized that John R. spent close to four decades at Alpha. He retired as its general manager before going into his private consulting business. Um, I'll note also that John Moore worked as an advisor to our Economic and Financial Analysis Committee. So I think it would be difficult uh, to argue that the failure of the TA was based on the work of the ENFA and, and John Moore's invo uh, involvement with that. Okay, on to legal, we've got uh, Tricia Kennedy, Director of Grievances and Dispute Resolution. And uh, we're just going to go straight into the questions here. Tricia, you're up. I see no way to track my grievances, uh, where my grievances are in the process. How can we find out whether our specific grievances are being advanced? All right, thank you, Chris. Um, that's a great question. Right now, we do not have the, the technology available for a pilot to launch into our system to see where uh, her individual grievances stand in the process. So the best way to get that information is to either call APA Legal 
or send us an email for update. As you know, as the grievance progresses uh, from the draft stage to the end stage, we do update the pilot at every step along the way, providing them an update. But I can understand how people may want more information more often. And uh, that door is open to, to get that information. And it's not lost on us. We are looking at uh, technological uh, uh, capabilities for pilots to be able to log in any time of the day to get that information. We're working on that project and hope to have a result in mid uh, mid this year. Thank you. Thanks, Trish. And I'll, I'll add, we're going to have uh, ITSC up here. Um, this is something that can be incorporated into, into Web 2.0. Uh, next question, how many grievances did APA settle with the company last year? How many are still outstanding? Very good. Uh, right now we have um, 200 open grievances. That's 200, but please keep in mind, uh, 24 of them are very close to closing. My personal philosophy is that I'm, I'm rather slow to close a grievance just because I want to make sure we have every detail. The pilot really is compensated. The pilot confirms that he or she has been compensated. So we have about 24 grievances of that 200 that are close to closing. We're waiting for a certain detail so that way we, we have a complete file uh, to close it. So that leaves us with about 176 open grievances. As for closings, uh, for this year so far, we've closed about 12 grievances in 2023. Last year, we closed about 67 grievances in 2022. I note that that trend of 67 is, is lower than what it usually is, and we assign that to the company's um, of focus and demand to focus on uh, Section 6 table positions as opposed to grievances. Thank you. Thanks, Trish. And I'm going to put a point on that, which is to say that here at APA, uh, we have the ability to simultaneously handle negotiations because those lawyers are not a part of our grievance team, uh, whereas Trisha and her team, she has an entire team that works on grievances, and they are not a part of the negotiating team. So those are separate entities, and they, we can handle these things simultaneously. The, uh, the company apparently doesn't have the ability to do that. Uh, next question, what is the status of the COVID PW pay presidential grievance 21-40? That is pending at the system board level. So in other words, it went through the appeal hearing. The, the pre-arbitration conference is pending at system board. The next thing to do is schedule that for arbitration. We've proffered several dates to the company, and we're in the process of discussing arbitration dates in 2023 with AA, and I hope to have that finalized next week. Thank you. All right, last one. Our grievance is going to be addressed in the next contract. Yes, they are. And uh, uh, what I've proposed to the board and, and talked to um, our uh, negotiating team about is what we'd like to do is to have a, a, a simple single change to how grievances are scheduled for arbitration. That is where our bottleneck seems to gather. We can work the grievance through the appeal hearing. We can work it quickly through the pack. But when it comes to scheduling that arbitration, that's where things slow down because we have to have mutual agreement with the company. And we've proposed some language change that gives more control to APA when we're at that point about what grievance should be scheduled in that arbitration slot. We've gotten some great board support on it, some great support from the current uh, uh, a negotiating committee, and that continues to be a priority for myself and my team. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Tricia.
Moving on, Communications Committee, FO Tammy McBride, you're up. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, giving this podcast a chance to uh, help modernize our communication platform here at APA. We just want to get out there that there's a podcast available now. Uh, sorry about my voice. I've been uh, talking all day <laughs> at Concourse Conversations, and uh, there wasn't a lot of people out there, but everyone who came by, it was great to see them. Um, we have a new podcast. For those of you who don't know, it's Positive Rate. It's uh, the newest communication product we have out there. We hope everyone will subscribe and get more engaged. We're working towards making this a weekly info source podcast for our pilot group and also a way to push timely information out to the group. Um, anywhere you get your podcast, you can search Positive Rate or Allied Pilots and it should be in there. Additionally, I just want to make it clear that this is to meet your needs and our memberships needs and we want to get the topics out there that you want to hear and we want to get the people on from the national officers to the board members whoever you want to hear for and the way we're going to know that is through your sound offs and your feedback so be sure to keep those coming in and otherwise anywhere you normally get a podcast you should be able to access that and this week's podcast is up there on APA's website I'm being told as we speak and that's about it from the comm committee on the podcast topic Thanks, Tammy. And so I'll emphasize this. This is something that I actually wasn't aware of until uh, fairly recently is I listen to podcasts all the time. And I thought you had to go to the APA website to listen to what was previously the five by five podcast, but they're there. Go in, subscribe, and it will download as soon as we've got a new episode. We're actually going to be taking the town halls. They're going to download into the same location. They won't be the same format, obviously, uh, but that way, if you miss the town hall, you don't have to sit in front of a laptop. You can just throw on your, uh, you know, your phone and listen to it. So thank you, Tammy. And I know that uh, Sandra was in a spotty reception today. Yeah, thanks a lot for uh, having us get the message out, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Uh, up next, uh, IT Steering Committee Operational Analysis, Philip Johnson and John Wickham. Hey, Chris, thanks. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, for the ITSC update, I just want to talk about uh, some applications we have coming out uh, to the membership here in the beginning of the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter. Uh, that's the pay audit application, trip info application, second generation uh, mobile inbox. And please keep in mind, these are all going to be running on a brand new um, uh, mobile, second generation mobile application built from the ground up. So uh, we're being, beginning that transition now. So um, as Chris indicated, it's myself and John Wickham, Vince Treverton, also uh, ITSC members unable to get on the call today, but has been doing a lot of heavy lifting with this project. Um, in addition, getting up to this point, scheduling committee and Drew Coleman have, and the scheduling department have been helping a lot as well. So um, as we go through these slides, the common goal is really a, a, a better user interface, user experience, as well as uh, you know, better access to the data and trying to create a cohesive ecosystem so you can move in and out of applications very seamlessly versus what it is today. Um, the first slide, or I should say the second slide here is going to be for John Wickham. John, over to you, sir. Hey, thanks, Phil. John Wickham from OAC and ITSC. Uh, a lot of the pilots have reached out to us over the last year asking for better fidelity on their pay. Uh, there have been competing products out there that they wanted us to go ahead and fill the gap. Uh, so we went ahead, uh, used a lot of the experts in the building and APA, legal uh, and pay and auditing, uh, the subject matter experts in CCC, scheduling, flight time, duty time, et cetera. And we put together along with Vince Treverton who created APA Reserve, a design for a pay audit app. And basically this is the ability, for those that aren't seeing the slides here, 
Uh, this is we're going to deploy into a mobile app that you can go ahead and look at your HI1, HI2, your monthly activity, and put it into dollars and cents. And we're looking in the ability for uh, coding against the common pay errors that uh, APA has seen uh, over the years. Uh, some of the ones we're already coding on out of, the, out of the gate, you know, sequence protection errors that we commonly see, sit time errors, uh, plotted activity for like vacation and training and some of the errors that fall over, and especially with reserve pilots. And then some of the stuff that comes in, uh, holiday pay and everything else, we can go ahead and code for quickly. Uh, three of those are already coded. We're looking to launch this uh, application, what you see on here, an overview of your pay. We put it in dollars and cents. We put it on the pay rate, so you don't actually see the hour. You'll see the hours, but you actually see the, the value. And any shortfalls that we see, we'll go ahead and identify those for you. And then the key portion of that is, is uh, if you, we find an error, we're giving you guidance on it. This is how you resolve it. Here's the link to resolve it. And we're giving you the contract language associated with uh, working that resolution. And then if you can't resolve it at your level, then we can go ahead and, you know, pitch it to APA to go ahead and move it along a pipeline for assistance. Um, right now, like I said, uh, APA IT developers have coded about four of these contract ones for launch in uh, mid to late April. We're looking to have 10 or more pay, and each month afterwards, we're gonna add more based on feedback and what we're seeing. Uh, we're looking for beta testers probably late February, early March, as we're gonna be reaching out and uh, testing this product. Uh, and we'll hopefully uh, provide a, a valued service uh, for the pilots at uh, APA. That's all I got. Hey, thanks, John. Uh, next slide, Chris. So here's another one of the applications. So uh, this follows on the original Trip Info product that Pat Clark put out many years ago, but uh, Vince Treverton did a great job developing a really cohesive user experience here. So you can see light and dark mode supported. Uh, the calendar functionality, um, all highly linked. So you can go in and out of Sabre, in and out of phone and contact, whether it's with fellow crew members, dispatch, uh, as well as uh, linking in there to the hotel uh, web pages as well. So uh, we're really excited about this. This should be launched at about the same time frame as John indicated earlier. Um, next slide, please, Chris. Uh, so the mobile inbox, uh, you know, John and I have done a lot of work and received a lot of feedback over the probably past 18 months on the mobile inbox. So um, we, we took this effort as well to do a complete rewrite of the mobile inbox and bring that up to industry standards. Um, uh, expect that to launch at the same time as well. And some of the big things that we see constantly are swipe to delete, um, the ability to really highlight an, an important notification, bulk delete options, syncing across devices as well as applications, but certainly devices. So iPad, iPhone, uh, Android, tablet, whatever you might have, even to your laptop uh, for further integration on the inbox piece. Um, and this will be the latest technology stack as well on Android and iOS. So we're excited about that. Um, an, another function, we, we do support linking on the current inbox, but this will be a little bit more seamless in terms of interacting with the other applications that John discussed. Um, and I think that's all I've got, Chris, um, other than if there's any pending questions. Yeah, thanks to uh, Philip and uh, and John and Vince Treverton, who couldn't be on the call here. And we've, uh, you know, we've discussed this a couple of times, but um, this is kind of proof positive that if you, <clears throat> if the pilot group brings us a need, you know, we're going to do our best to, uh, to address it. This there is a paid service out there that does this. We try to bring that individual in under the APA umbrella to get them to help us 
uh, put this together. He declined that, and so we did it ourselves. So anybody out there who's uh, um, you know paying for that that pay application service uh, after April twenty third, uh, ideally you're going to get it for free from APA. So thanks, thanks guys. On to scheduling, Captain Drew Coleman. You want to give us an update on uh, all things TTS? TTS, uh, real-time trading. Uh, the company has announced that they are going to go live with first, first four bid statuses being Boston, uh, shoot, Boston, LAX, Phoenix, and I can't remember the fourth one off my head. DC, that's the other one, I'm sorry. We'll be going live for the first month. So what happens is with the February trips starting January 24th, you will be going live on TTS for real-time trading. So TTOT will no longer work for those pilots that are in those four bases, any good status in those four bases. The, I guess you want to go to the next slide talk about the... Uh, yeah, and, and Drew, you don't have to hit uh, everything on this, but can you yeah, just broadly go over uh, the, what the punch list is and kind of some of the, the bigger issues on the punch list? So the company last year had decided that they were ready to go live with real-time trading and push it out to the pilot group. The scheduling committee had to create a list of items because we weren't comfortable with it yet. We weren't ready for it to go. There were still several items that we needed. And this is the punch-out list that we said. This is what we needed to be completed before we, as a, as a scheduling committee, felt it met the needs of the pilots and the contractual bounds. So this is the list that we gave to the board. And then the board went back to the company and said, hey, look, it's not ready. These are what we need. The company has gone back and has agreed to get these items fixed and these items resolved. And as you can see, all of them are green, except for the VMAX one. And I will talk about that shortly here in a, in a second. So most of the items are, are behind the scenes stuff that the, the pilots aren't gonna necessarily see, but as scheduling members were able to see, we're able to see how the transactions go, we're actually able to see the formulas and how they calculate and make the transaction. Uh, we have access to admin pages that allows us to see making sure the settings are correct and that they're not manipulating anything of that nature. Some of the other things that we have is we have what we call exception rule processing. So what happens is if there's not room for you to drop your trip, so if you're just trying to drop your trip or if you're trying to drop your trip and pick up another trip, but there's no room to drop your trip into open time where your trip currently exists, it goes into exception processing, which goes through a series of checks to see if maybe the company may need to go ahead and consider that trip. So maybe it's more beneficial that you do that um, and it gets dropped. So what we need to do is, what we did is we said there were several rules in here that shouldn't be in there and several rules that needed to be adjusted. And rule A, B, and C were several of those rules. And Chris, I don't know if you want me to go into those or not, or I can just move on more quickly. No, I think, uh... I don't want to get down to quite that level of granularity. Yeah. I, I would, though. Hold on, Chris. I, I think this is probably the biggest thing that's going to hit our members in the next week. Um, okay. Drew, you know, I think, and I've been getting texts while while Drew's been briefing from some of our members. Can, Drew, can you say a little about the ability to do equal or lesser trades? Did we ever get that addressed, that rule set A and C? Can you just say a few about a few words about that? Because I think that really is, right now, the, the bulk of what I'm I'm seeing as a concern. So the, bulk, the bulk of the problems was that the original TTS system was set up that it had to be equal or greater. So if you had a four-day trip, the system flat out blatantly would not allow you to trade for anything smaller than a four-day. Maybe it would let you trade for a five-day. 
So that was rule A. We've got that removed. That's been deactivated and set up so that it, it does not affect the system at all. Now, rule B and C had to do with being able to check further with the system when it comes to part of it was the system wouldn't even allow you to make a trade. If you're trading a three-day for a three-day, even over the same footprint, you weren't making the system better, so it wouldn't let it go through. It was it, it ended up being you had to improve the system. And we went in and said, hey, look, you know, if a pilot's trading a three-day for a three-day, it's the same. The tie goes to the pilot. Obviously, the guy needs to trade for some reason or another. He needs that other trip. And guess what? He's more likely to show up for that second trip than he is for the first trip. So you're ultimately getting better improvement in the system because for whatever reason, that pilot needed that trade. And then the other part with, with uh, C was there was, or other parts of the rules in there, there was debits and credits. Think of accounting back in college. And you would get debited for dropping a four-day because you made the system worse by four days. But they weren't giving us credit in the map and the formulas for picking up, say, a three-day if we picked up a three-day. So they, there were imbalances there. So we've gone through and we've looked at all the different calculations on how it evaluates the open time and the coverage. And we've made sure all the numbers and formulas match what it's supposed to. And so that when you're, you're, you're getting the correct debits and credits so that you can make a transaction actually go through. And so now also the system will actually go in there and evaluate, you know, there are times where a trade is beneficial to the company, especially like if it's, if a trip you're trying to pick up, if you have a special qual of some sort, and you're able to pick that up and the trip that you own currently, they have 10 pilots that could cover that, but they have nobody to cover that other one. You're going to be able to get that trade to go through. And then the last part I'll cover, which is the yellow item, which is the VMAX. And that was a grievance that was filed several years ago. That was actually completed last year with Trisha's help. And we um, are getting it programmed into the system so that if I have a trip and I try to drop it and I can't get anybody in the system to pick it up, um, because nobody wants it, but there are other pilots out there that want it, but it would take them above their monthly max, not above the far max, but above their monthly max. This grievance says it's allowed to do that because that is in, that is the, in the contract that if nobody else wants it, but somebody above, it would take them above the monthly max, it would allow them to do that. So this program is going to be built into the TTS. It's not quite done. And as a workaround, we suggested to the company that we make any bid status that is on this system. FAFR max until this is programmed, which ultimately ends up being better for everybody. So and if they fix it, if I could too, um, please then go go down to the VMAX too and, and explain that the one thing that's not implemented, you can just kind of give the members an overview of that. I would appreciate it. And the, the one down there, the gray box of the line through is actually a section six discussion. And so it wasn't pertinent or germane to the discussions at the time when this was going on. So that is still being processed through our section six. Okay, thanks, Drew. Uh, we're going to go on to the questions here. And for the first two, actually, I'm happy to take these, Drew, and give a quick answer. And uh, you can obviously jump in if you'd like to. So why are we allowing TTS 2.0 to be implemented? Please revisit the idea of TTS real-time trading. This will really impact the qu what quality of life we have left in trip trading. So there's a pending board com that's about to come out, but we've we've discussed this several times on, on Zoom calls. Uh, anybody who has attended contract training um, has heard this. Uh, TTOT has been living on borrowed time since 2015 when our current CBA was implemented. It wasn't in the, that contract. It was TTS only. Uh, the, the, the pilot group came to APA because TTS was entirely unsatisfactory. And we got TTOT turned back on through what we call the 2015 Wilson letter. 
However, it was only going to leave TTOT on until such time that the APA Board of Directors and American could come to a mutual agreement on a replacement for TTOT in the form of TTS real-time trading. So once that occurs, TTOT, as, as it was designed to do back in 2015, will go away. At this point, the board has not agreed to that process. Now, TT, TTS real-time trading, uh, as discussed by Drew, is going to be rolling out soon. The, the board, along with the scheduling committee, once we assess whether this is an acceptable solution, the board will then provide, um, uh, they will then provide their input to it. Drew, is there anything uh, on that quick summary that uh, you want to add? Everybody talks about TTS 2.0. We're actually live in TTS 2.0. It's just a clarification because when they moved it from a, a normal server to a cloud server, that's when it became TTS 2.0. But ultimately, yeah. TTS in real time on the system is going to be a slight change for it. It's going to reduce some trades because there's trades that shouldn't be happening in TTOT that are that are happening. And I understand pilots like the green hole trips and some of the other mechanisms that we have found through the years that allow us to drop stuff when we weren't supposed to. And so you're going to see those trades are going to stop. But ultimately, you're going to see a lot more trades uh, via multi-way functions where, you know, three and four, five, six pilots, you're going to see that. So that's the trade you're going to start seeing that'll help satisfy the pilots' needs for trip trades. Thanks. Next question. We cannot let the company go ahead with implementing TTS real-time trading with punch lists only mostly compete, as was indicated in the latest BOD meeting notes. Can the company unilaterally do this? And, and I kind of touched on this just now, Drew, but anything to add there? As you saw the list that we have, it's, it's, it's complete. And in fact, we have it better than the list with the monthly max being at FAR. All right, uh, whoops, uh, operator error. Uh, let's see, so the next one there were bullet points A and C removed from, from the punch list. Again, they were, um, and I'll go back to that just so you can see that list again. So rule A was removed. It's about the fifth from the bottom and uh, rules B and C were, were modified. Um, I'm going to hold this last question, Drew, because there's a couple of questions in, in the chat if you can address real quick. Can we have TTS runs more than two times a day? That, that is something we can entertain. Um, the, the trick of this is, is, is there's got to be a balance, and we don't honestly know where the balance is yet because we haven't all lived under it yet. So once we're all into the system, we experience it, we see that the 12-hour runs, and maybe we do need more, maybe we don't. We don't know yet. And, and when the time comes that the board makes that decision, it, it should not be a, a major issue for AA to adjust the system. Okay, and then one more question from the Q&A here. Will TTS uh, 2.0 slash real-time trading prevent pilot-to-pilot -pilot trading in FOSS slash Sabre? No, that will still function. In fact, uh, Lightsaber will actually still function with pilot-to-pilot. -pilot. So you'll still have that functionality for, okay. for the time being. They are eventually going to program that, but as of right now, it's not in there. Thanks. All right, last question for you, and then we'll let you go, Drew. 35 outbound New York, 320 captain, TDY. What's going on? That's more than 20% of our list. We, have an, uh, we actually have an active grievance on that because what their issue is, isn't that they don't have a shortage of pilot or captain somewhere. What they have is a shortage of FOs in that bit status. They can't keep the FOs there because they trade out to other bases because that's one of the least desirable uh, bit statuses. And the pilots that they do have there haven't finished training because they're all waiting to be trained. So they have too many captains sitting there 
And so now they're distributing those captains elsewhere rather than bringing somebody into LaGuardia. And according to our grievance, the says TDY says you're allowed to move pilots to fill a shortage. So the captains, if they're moving out, aren't filling a shortage. They're dealing with the shortage where they're at. So we've actually got an active grievance on that, but that's why they're moving those captains. All right, thanks, Drew. Uh, good luck with catching your flight out of there. Uh, we've got delayed another 30 minutes, so we'll see what happens. Excellent, thanks. All right, up next, Compass Project, Captain Robert Hayhurst. Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, briefly, I wanna mention the Compass Project is one of those uh, really motivated group of people. I've, I've had a privilege of working with people who just wanna help new hires, new captains, someone, uh, new parents, someone coming back after a leave of absence uh, or any, really any pilot in the union with questions. And uh, we've had so much uh, uh, luck putting these summary documents together and reaching out to people directly. Uh, it's been a fantastic experience. And if any of you have any any inkling of, of getting involved, this is a case where you can sponsor one person a month or one person every six months, follow somebody through from start to finish, um, or get involved in uh, other aspects of the Compass Project. Um, vacation's a hot topic. It, it is closing uh, Friday, I believe 1300 Central Time was the update. And we have uh, over 2000 new pilots who've never been vacation before. And even some of our experienced pilots are struggling uh, so as we usually do, the Compass Project put together a summary document, you know, including any any letters of agreement, any contractual, and, and we get help from the scheduling committee and from all the experts. So that's a great starting point, but then you have to go to the guides and you could read all about vacation management. And when you click on vacation to bid, that's where you go, but you have to take one step further and, and actually click, click on um, uh, annual bidding. So a lot of our new pilots are, are looking at vacation management at vexes and and seeing zero uh, information, zero vacation, and they have to take that additional step. So what Compass is trying to do is to help them. So long story short, we got a hotline and anybody can call it. Option three is specifically for help with vacation bidding. Uh, if you're looking at the guides, be sure to find a guide that talks about bidding uh, rather than spending an hour reading about uh, uh, moving your flex day or signing your vacation and all that. So there's a lot of guides out there. And call that hotline, uh, any pilot really with general questions. We have uh, so many awesome committees. Uh, the Compass Project tries to build a foundation, answer the basic questions. Obviously, if we need uh, expert help, we go to, we'll go to the professional standards, captain's authority. We'll, we'll go to whoever we need to, to get the contract compliance a lot of the times, tremendous amount of support. All right. so. Uh, Becoming a sponsor, hopefully by now, most of you can find the Compass page, uh, or the Compass webpage. That little Compass symbol there in the, in the upper right corner is on the mobile app. Uh, it's one of the quick links on the APA webpage. And once you get there, you'll just see a whole bunch of summary documents, documents but, but also this blue link, become a sponsor, sign up for them. You'll watch a quick video. And, and again, you can, you can schedule. If you have a busy few months, you can do nothing. You have time to sponsor one guy or gal. That's that's awesome. Uh, one of the things Compass Project does is we try to inspire new captains, and actually even experienced captains. Let's say somebody is just going to international for the first time as a captain, and so we have a captain uh, international strategy guide. Uh, there's a leadership uh, document in there that was inspired uh, largely by the professional standards uh, committee members. Uh, we link with the training committee. We we try to provide 
it used to be an old captain's guidebook that you know anybody who was interested in being a leader could like thumb through. Well, that that's you know all the links to all of those individual guides are now on the Compass Project webpage. We have a captain hotline, and, and a lot of times, you know, if pilots want to turtle up and sort of isolate, uh, uh, except for the ones who are sociable and get more involved and find out the resources that are available to them on the APA webpages. And um, the captain hotline is an example of that. Some of our captains are totally independent. Some just want to talk it over with somebody. So you can text or call that number. Uh, really, if, if, if in doubt, reach out. Compass Project will either help you or get you to uh, one of our other great committees where someone can definitely help you, whether it be wingman or professional standards who can really offer you some strategies to how to deal with difficult situations. Uh, the guides are excellent. They really get your brain going and if you have an open mind. Obviously, a lot of you are incredibly uh, experienced and qualified, so we're not questioning that. Um, next slide, please, Chris, if it made the uh, cut. So when you get to the Compass webpage, the we need you on the left there, that's where you can click on that link. Watch a video, volunteer to be a Compass Project uh, sponsor, or maybe your, your thing is return to work. Uh, we can use your enthusiasm. Uh, over on the right there, kind of in the middle of the actual Compass webpage is the whole captain thing. And again, we'll link to, the, you can go to the Captain's Authority where they have a summary of emails uh, that have been sent out. And I go reread those because it's, we need leaders in the flight deck, whether you're in the right seat or the left seat. Sometimes there's situations that, that will really challenge you. So we're, we're looking to inspire uh, the leaders of the future. And that, that's what we're all about. And uh, a couple other things on this webpage. Oh, yeah, the actual um, vacation bid uh, guide, just the most basic guide is at the very bottom uh, of the webpage. And that's where you'll find that. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you find this information useful and uh, it's really rewarding. And sometimes you, you just do a little bit to help others and you really end up helping yourself more than anything. So thank you for your attention. All right, thanks, Robert. We're gonna bring contract compliance up, but I'm gonna go back to this real quick. So again, that vacation help hotline, I talked about bidding reserve um, with three to four weeks of vacation. I, I mentioned calling the PBS help desk. If you're gonna do that, call the vacation help hotline as well. Because there's certain things like you gotta bid it all in the month. And again, just make sure that it's set, that's set up correctly. Uh, okay, on to contract compliance. So who's speaking, uh, Paul? Uh, yeah, thanks, Chris. Paul already here, contract compliance. All right, we'll jump right into the uh, question there. All right, so if you're familiar with this format, we're going to read this question with uh, four options, and then you're going to have an opportunity to answer on your own, and then we'll post the, um, the answer. So question, my crew, including flight attendants, and my aircraft would have been ready for departure at scheduled departure time. The boarding door is still open. What conditions allows me, what condition allows me to enter an RFD? That's a ready for departure delay message in ACARS. A, aircraft is on rolling maintenance, B, ramp congestion, C, FAA edict, expect departure clearance time or ground stop is in effect, or D, the jet bridge is stuck. So those are your options, A, B, C, or D. Choose the one that you think most accurately represents the, um, the answer to that question. In the interim, while you're deliberating that, uh, if you're not aware, the Contract Compliance Committee has now started doing 30-minute um, uh, live town halls, much like this format is. Our um, second one of, since inception will be on the 18th of January at 1000 Central Time. 
The third one would be on the 24th of January at 1700 Central Time. If you read your emails, you should have received one of those um, notices today, and you can sign up on the Allied Pilots website under the contract compliance uh, section of the um, website. Um, if you're also reading your emails today, if you've flown today, you know that this um, notum outage from the FAA has created quite a mess. Um, please, if you have not yet already, read your email today regarding um, our latest com and how you could qualify for a, re a ready for departure um, com, a ready for departure delay, and be properly paid as you are sitting there with um, the aircraft and yourselves and the flight attendants and the customers ready to go, but you were being prevented by an FAA ground stop. So please take a moment to read that and um, familiarize yourselves. Uh, always a hot topic or a hot button issue for all pilots is when you experience a schedule change, it requires first person contact or an individual ACARS message outside sterile cockpit while you're in that aircraft. So if it doesn't happen, one of those two methods while you're on duty, it's not compliant. Looking at CCI is not a compliant method of notifying you of the change to your schedule. So please keep that in mind without proper notification. Your only obligation is to show for the last thing that you knew that you had to do. Finally, before we get to the answers here, um, every Friday News Digest, we come up with a Q&A. And if you scroll down towards the bottom third of that um, News Digest, you will find the Contract Compliance Q&A. They usually are generated from what we're seeing that week the hot things and items that we're seeing that week. And the intent is to, it's a quick educational tool for you. Um, so without uh, nothing further from us at that point, we can continue if you're ready for the uh, answer to the poll question, Chris. The answer is C, FAA expect departure clearance time or a ground stop is in effect. And it looks like 72% answer that correctly. Ramp congestion, it does qualify for an RFD. The caveat there would be that the aircraft is buttoned up. Every single door is closed. Everybody's in place, including ground crew, and you've called for the pushback, and they're not allowing you to push back because of uh, congestion behind you. Um, so that's when the ramp congestion would qualify. Uh, maintenance, it'll never qualify, unfortunately. If there's rolling maintenance, you're not going to be able to get an RFD for that. The aircraft has got to be um, airworthy in order to qualify. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. Thank you, Paul. Up next is Aeromedical. We've got FO Rondo Flynn and Captain Thomas Ramford. Chris, thanks for having me. AP members, thanks for being with us tonight. Um, so first, just a few topics we want to talk about. Um, first being the medical entry changes. Typically, we would use the HIM entrance or entry with an HI9 confirmation. This has changed dramatically. Um, some of you have already been doing it. Now the new way to update our FAA medical certificates is through aapilots.com. The easiest way, we've got a lot of different cameras, but the most successful has been just take your iPad, lay it on a dark background if possible, zoom in, take the picture and up update it and upload it through AA Pilots. For some reason, if that's not working, the backup will be the IOC duty pilot as secondary. A lot more details to talk about. Don't have much time tonight, but basically if you wanna to go to the FOM administration, pages 20-50 and 20-51. The backstory behind why this is happening is there's been just a very small number of pilots 
they've been caught from the FAA that they may have exceeded their limits. What this means is there is about roughly 15,000 plus pilots, just about 10.4% 10, 10 of us have what's known as this SI or special issuance in the limitation section of our medicals. Within that, there's only 60 pilots that have a date that's different. For instance, first class medical, six months, their medical may expire three, four, five months, various reasons. If you think about different scans, treatment plans and so forth, the HIM entry has no way to filter that. So with this FAA warning letter, the company had to respond and they responded by this program. They're gonna take a look at it to make sure these dates are accurate. And that is reflected on aapilots.com. So um, also moving forward, I wanna to touch on one other issue and that has to do with military pilots who are transitioning to civilian life. Um, one thing is also critical is that if you've ever received medical disability payments of, every, of any kind, please list that on your class one medical. Um, over the last decade, there's been a number of pilots that have been caught through the 120 system, 121 system. And I cannot stress enough, you do not wanna be a part of declaring that you did not receive long-term disability benefits. If you have, and you're in a jam, please reach out to us or Ray Duke um, Legal for Aeromedical. And then lastly is a very hot topic. You're gonna to hear about this more in the future. And this is the rise of the CBD field. For those of you who live in liberal states that um, promote this, I can tell you the 2018 Farm Bill kicked this all off. Um, typically the sedation rate with alcohol and CBD mixing uh, was too high to be legal. A lot of microbreweries are finding a workaround. Major companies are now looking like Anheuser-Busch are spending a lot of R&D on this. Think about non-alcoholic beers, water, seltzers, tea, and coffee. If you're gonna to go to the bar and you wanna use the tap beers and you're not familiar with the bar or that beer, be very, very careful. Start with a bottle, look at it well. The growth of this industry and the market share is rising dramatically. So um, as an airline pilot, we've never really been in a position where we've had to think about what we put in our body and what we put on our body more than ever. So with that, I'll close. Um, just be careful, the CBD industry is growing rapidly. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas, you're up. Thank you, Chris. Um, just a, a couple of additional comments. Uh, one area that the uh, previous aeromedical chair had blazed the trail on and our current uh, chairman, Rondeau, uh, is championing is uh, uh, some of the hopeful improvements to our contract. Uh, one relates to a contentious issue that came out with the previous TA related to the uh, five-year uh, language where seniority could be terminated. And we're trying to emphasize the controlling language in section 13F of the contract that essentially says that uh, seniority can only be lost uh, for uh, resignation, uh, retirement, discharge, or a failure to return from furlough. Nowhere in that uh, is sick and injury uh, type of status, uh, something that you can lose your seniority for. So we're hopeful that that uh, five-year language will be excised entirely uh, from the contract. Um, next area is related to Section 20, uh, physical examinations. Uh, we're hoping for simplified language there uh, to make sure that uh, the only medical procedures that we are required to uh, participate in will be the uh, FAA first class or second class uh, medical. 
versus some of the language that's currently uh, in the contract related to the company being able to establish medical procedures. Um, this ties into the whole concept of medical mandates. And fortunately, we've got uh, Delta Airlines kind of blazing the trail on uh, medical protection language to ensure that uh, medical procedures cannot be mandated beyond what the FAA requires for first or second class medicals. So by simplifying uh, the language, um, I feel like we'll be able to do that. That's the, the major theme we have here uh, is to simplify language and make sure that things are consistent with the existing um, uh, areas of the contract. Any questions? All right, thanks, uh, Thomas and uh, Rondo as well. And uh, sticking within Aeromedical, uh, Project Wingman, Bud Hughes, you are up. Well, big ray of sunshine from Project Wingman land. Hope everyone's doing well out there today. A uh, few things that we had to bring to your attention. <clears throat> uh, the uh, number of calls that are coming in on the hotline uh, have not varied uh, that much. We're still over uh, three calls a, a day uh, that we get on the hotline. <clears throat> we don't generally log the calls that don't come on the hotline. Uh, those have increased somewhat. I'd have to say there's another three calls that come to either the domicile project wingman or myself or the national committee guys. So really we're running at quite, quite a pace right now. <clears throat> we have about 30 volunteers. We're fixing to train another 15. That'll take us up to 45 volunteers that are able to man the hotline. We do have two people on the hotline uh, every day with a backup of three more in case the phone line, that first, uh, that first line of defense goes down. So it's going to take quite a few uh, volunteers, I think, going through the next year, uh, but we're up and training for that. Uh, most of the calls, or uh, a lot of the calls, I should say, are having to do with uh, new hire pilots and probationary pilots, something that we haven't dealt with uh, in quite a while now. So uh, a lot of those have to do with um, marital issues and the stress of uh, moving uh, from military uh, onto a civilian job and uh, the, you know, the change in the finances of, of those uh, families that are involved in that. A couple of things that we are uh, working on uh, in the future, we, we've been working on them for a while. Uh, I would have thought that I could do a little faster job of getting the answer to these, but I've been unable to do so uh, for different reasons. Uh, we have uh, found that we have quite a few uh, young ladies now in our midst, uh, uh, young uh, female aviators that are having babies. And uh, the, uh, the um, uncertainty of postpartum depression, either during the pregnancy or after the pregnancy has become somewhat of an issue. So we have a, uh, we have a, uh, um, a HIMSS-trained AME coming in to talk to us, uh, both the Air Medical Committee and uh, Project Wingman volunteers uh, to kind of instruct us on the uh, medical ramifications of, uh, of getting a diagnosis of postpartum depression and what to do about that and how to uh, report those things. Uh, come to find out it's uh, more complex than, than one might think. So uh, working around that. I have been, uh, have been asked and tasked uh, as of late uh, to find, um, to find uh, maybe a support group worldwide uh, for our pilots that are going through divorce, both female and male. Uh, the, the problem that we are running into that is somewhat the same that we're running into with the postpartum depression. 
Most counseling groups are only allowed to counsel in the state in which they perform. So to have a nationwide counseling group, be it Zoom or, or, or any other platform, uh, the person has to be in the same state that they're receiving counseling from. So these support groups have become quite difficult for me to, uh, to arrange. So uh, uh, rest assured, uh, I haven't given up yet. I'm still uh, working on those issues as well. We do have a, a, a new Human Factors video coming out. Uh, we are still continuing to work on it. Uh, it is in the final uh, construction of that. And uh, we look forward to, to rolling that out to the new Human Factors. Uh, and then we have also, as Chris had alluded to, uh, we have looked into, we also have a man coming in to talk to us about uh, putting up a, an, a mental health app that would go out to all the pilots. Uh, we have found that this younger generation of uh, pilots that we have are much more likely to want to text somebody than to pick up the phone and call a hotline. So this app would be uh, allow them to maybe uh, begin the process uh, with a text or uh, also have quite a bit of information on there that uh, they could go ahead and read about some mental health issues before they actually made a call or uh, sent a text. Uh, whether that would come inside the uh, APA I2 window, uh, which I would certainly hope that it would, but uh, either the way, uh, I think that that would be something for us to look into uh, in the future. We, we, we did get the opportunity to uh, debrief our uh, mid-air tragedy that we had uh, last month and um, to the board of directors and the executive committee. And uh, we did, we did, there was a big, uh, we did learn a lot about that. It was an unexpected uh, event that I thought that we handled very well from all aspects at APA. And I would uh, like to thank uh, the Family Awareness uh, Committee, Compass, Family Navigation and the Communications Department for all reaching out to me and, and to us at Project Wingman and offering their support. If there's any questions, please feel free to ask me. Hey, bud, thanks for that. Um, there's no questions that I'm, I'm seeing here, so we're going to move on to the next one. Uh, training committee, Captain Tim Martin, you're up. Hi there. Uh, uh, yeah, we've got uh, only a few pilots will probably be uh, affected by the carryover requalification, so I'm just going to keep those comments brief. It's just a, a fact of whenever we change over from one a previous year to the next year, the, the training content changes. And so if someone goes non-current, what do they do with them? And so uh, you may be getting uh, in 2023, 2022's curriculum, and that's what you see in the CORQ. That date is coincidentally this year, January 3rd, which brings the big topic of discussion, which is the AOM changes that have occurred and that everybody's had to been dealing with. Um, so there was uh, reports in the paper about close coordination with APA that the company clo closely coordinated with us in launching these changes. And uh, yeah, not so much. What we what has happened was they notified us of these changes and they were very excited about them. We said, wait a minute, this is a lot going on. Can you please slow roll these out? Maybe, you know, once a quarter or something like that. It's like, no, we need it all at once. And they said, okay, we need to make it distance learning. No, we don't need to do that. So I said, okay. Uh, bad idea. No, no, we're, we're good with it. It's going to be fine. So, uh, that was, those are basically Captain Tazzer's, uh, uh, conversations with the, uh, training management 
And so, uh, yeah, everybody is aware of what happened on January 3rd. And uh, it got the company's attention. We, as a union, have uh, got their attention. And that's a good thing. They're now all of a sudden paying attention when we call. They are inviting us to meetings that they have not in the past. And so, so those are all good things. Uh, just so that you know, distance learning in accordance with Section 6E4 will not include any activities commonly associated with post-sign-in pre-flight planning. And that means manual updates. They decided to push this as a manual update. And so that means that um, distance, in their opinion, distance learning did not, this did not qualify as distance learning because it's a manual update. Uh, we can debate that, but because they decided to take this path, that means we've got to do this post-sign-in. And so, and that's what many of us did and that got their attention. So we, we look forward to uh, not repeating this debacle in the future. Uh, I'm happy to field any questions, but that's all I'm gonna talk about at this point. Hey, Tim, thanks. I don't see any questions in there. So moving on to safety, uh, FO Nick Peterson from LOSA Lit. Uh, thanks, Chris. Um, apologize if there's any background noise. I want to, uh, I'm sitting in the airport terminal and uh, late because of the uh, stuff today. I just want to start by uh, giving a big thank you to all the pilots that have welcomed uh, our LOSA and LIT observers into the flight deck and also those pilots that have talked to us in the uh, crew rooms the training centers, and a shout out to our pilots in Miami that participated in our first learning team uh, last month to help us uh, gather valuable data about these two programs and why it's important. Uh, I just want to spend a few minutes uh, highlighting the differences between LOSA and LIT, what these two programs do, what they don't do, and why particularly now it's important that we'd be collecting as much data as possible. Uh, for those not familiar, LOSA and LIT are two separate and complementary safety programs. The first, LOSA, which stands for Line-Oriented uh, Safety Audit, and the second is the Learning and Improvement Team. They have their own individual observers, and they kind of collect data collection, uh, types of data in two different camps. An important core principle of both of these uh, programs is that they are voluntary and anonymous in pilot participation, meaning that uh, pilots don't have to let an observer fly. We would love it if you do. Uh, but you don't have to, and that's either pilot or any four of the three pilots, and it's anonymous. Uh, we don't collect flight numbers. We don't collect names, dates, employee numbers, genders. Everything we possibly can do to remove any chance of identifying the pilot who participates is scrubbed from the data. We always point out that our observers will not bump AA pilots from the jump seat while we do travel on A-12. If there's a pilot not even commuting, just going, and they need that one W, our pilot or our direction, our observers will not bump those pilots from the jump seat. All of our observers are line pilots, they're APA volunteers, and they are not on SA. The data is protected by the APA. Uh, because of the importance of it, we work very hard to make sure that they're not requests coming to us like, hey, we need to see your low data or your lit data on, uh, on certain things. What I'm, what I'm here tonight is to highlight that this is a direct conduit from the line pilot, from you to management, particularly in the last uh, week and a half with these changes. We ask crew questions and take these crew comments every month to safety meetings and tell them how our pilots feel and what they are challenged by. Uh, so it's a really, really good opportunity if you're upset about the way that things were, were implemented or you were trained or prepared to let our people know we take that down and we do take it to the, uh, to the higher beings. Uh, next uh, slide, Chris. So the, um, the first thing probably I'd like to talk about with LOSA is uh, the uh, kind of the focus area of that. They look at things from the threat or management perspective. In other words, how our pilots manage external threats and uh, potentially any errors that are related to those threats. Now that's the data they capture. 
What this does is it gives us an honest look into how our operation is performing. And more importantly, it highlights the strengths and the challenges that our pilots face and they encounter. Um, it, it's a really good indication of how the system is working and what our pilots are doing to keep the operation safe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next slide. Uh, the Learning Improvement Team, which is the program that I run for the APA, uh, is a cutting edge program unique to American and APA. We developed this internally over the last three years. Um, no other airline in the world has a program like LIT. It's completely unique to American Airlines. Uh, it's basically uh, our effort to understand what makes our pilots successful, what we do well in aviation safety. Uh, we've always talked about uh, what we do wrong, what we mess up. And when there's humans involved, uh, we, we have a tendency sometimes to make mistakes. And so sometimes humans are hazards. And we've learned a lot about when we are hazards and how we can try to prevent that. But humans can also be heroes as well. We could be the ones that have the instinct or the gut uh, knowledge to step in and do something. And we haven't really done a lot of study on when the humans are heroes, that's what LIT is after. More importantly, how are our pilots filling in the gaps? We know the system is not perfect. There are gaps uh, in the system. Um, and, and we are trying to collect data on what our pilots are doing to make the operation go, learning what goes well and why. There's been a little bit of talk earlier about uh, removing pilots, uh, going down a single pilot uh, or long haul, reduced, uh, or, or potentially completely removing the pilot from the flight deck at some point. And I, I do like to point out that uh, if we're going to remove the pilot or a pilot from the flight deck and replace it with something else, we really need to understand what the human does to contribute to safety. And at this point, we, we really don't. And that's what LIT is all about. Um, the last thing I'll say is uh, uh, just a general um, comment about some concerns of people, uh, particularly with uh, our observers who have been out in the field for the last uh, 10 days or so with regards to the AOM harmonization. Um, all of our people have our own ind uh, independent opinions about the uh, new procedures, uh, whether we like them or we don't, and, and how the uh, implementation was rolled out. Um, but it's important that everybody here on this call recognize that our observers are out to capture natural flight crew performance. So if we were tasked uh, with some marching orders like, hey, go find us a bunch of data that validates what we just did, we're not really looking at natural a human performance, we're, we're, we're skewing the data. So our position and our goal with both of these programs is to collect data, talk to the pilots to really understand of what uh, pilots do. We need to talk to them and observe them. Then we can take that, uh, that information and data to the company and say, this is what you have out in the field. It may not be what you want, but this is what you've got going on. And, and, and how do you feel about that? Uh, that's all I've got. I'll yield back to you, Chris. Thank you. All right, thank you. And moving on to negotiating committee, Chris Walker. Hey, Chris, so, how are you? Hey, good. If you can provide us a general update, then we'll go into questions after that. Absolutely. Hey, so uh, Chris Walker here, uh, Deputy Chair of the Negotiating Committee. Uh, just got back from a uh, three-day intensive um, negotiating training session at Rutgers. Uh, some of the members of the committee had not been through uh, one of those types of programs before, but on, we also brought along um, some committee chairs, the contract compliance committee chair, uh, the scheduling committee chair, members of the scheduling committee, the economic and finance committee. And it was a good, uh, a good refresh for some of us and also an opportunity for uh, the new committee to work together and see 
um, kind of how we negotiate together and, and talk about um, what our way is going forward. We've had a busy few months since this uh, committee was um, elected. Uh, through the holidays, we've worked pretty much nonstop. There's a lot of data out there as we sift through um, what was uh, AIP prior and pairing it up with board guidance. We went through their caucus um, and got an update to where the board wants to go. That was very well informed by the membership sound offs and, and, and the information sent to us. And uh, we, we uh, collated and coalesced that. Uh, we hear a lot of, don't you already know what we want by now? Absolutely, but I will tell you that um, pilot wants shift over time. When there are moves and changes out within the industry, it changes where our asks might be as well. Um, obviously, you see um, other airlines getting to agreements, getting to TAs, and the move by Delta out of a mediated outcome is a significant one. Um, to rephrase something that was said from the other side of the table, it changes the landscape of negotiations. And so we have to adapt and update, and get to where we can get to in order to get an industry leading contract. And we've been working uh, on that. Through, that. through that caucus, we put it all together into a framework. Uh, the framework was briefed to the board last week. The board approved the framework that we presented 20 to nothing, a, a, uh, a unanimous vote. And that's important to us. We wanna make sure that all the board is along and that they're all well informed of what that is. On the flip side, I've had asks, hey, can we get a copy of that? I, I prefer not to make that public. Those are, those are our keys to the castle. Those are the gems of the association. Those are the things that we're gonna strive to get toward and whatnot. And I wouldn't want that information just out publicly disclosed uh, uh, you know, before a negotiation that would tie our hands behind our back. Um, to that end though, um, we also concluded polling in January. We've had questions about, well, why do you poll? Well, we're supposed to poll by policy manual every six months. And yes, some of the times the polling data comes back and it's saying the same thing that the pilot has always said, uh, the pilot group has always said, but sometimes it shifts. In this instance, it was very, very interesting to us to find that what the pilots were saying in the polling data mirrored virtually identically with what was tasked by the board. And so that's good. That's good to know that the pilot group wants are synced up with what the boards wants to the negotiating committee's tasking. And so now the hard part rests upon uh, uh, John, our, our chair, myself, and the rest of our team is to get those things for you. And, and so we are working towards that end. We also have met with the company. We've had constant contact with the company um, since the changeover of the negotiating committee. Obviously there are day-to-day -day issues that the negotiating chair has to work. Um, all of these issues that the other committees have brought up eventually require a negotiating committee member, preferably the chair to weigh in on, on the, the exact contractual reference and what the interpretation might be. And so we've had that dialogue open. But we've also met as an entire team uh, with the American Airlines team. And I will share with you that there is a shift at the table in how they see things. They acknowledge the change in the industry. Um, but as our union president said to start off this meeting, both sides are very interested in getting to the truth data of what is in that Delta agreement. And that's the language. We've seen from them, their negotiators notepad with a shorthand of bullet points, if you will, of the things that they're going for, but the devil will be in the details. That doesn't mean that we're waiting for that and then gonna start beginning. In the background, we are taking what we expect they have. We are laying it over our language. We are also looking at the other industry comparators in, in order to build the best 
most fleshed out package to which we can present to, to the company uh, when the time comes. Um, but more importantly, I'm interested in what the company has to offer you all. When, if you recall, United was offered a TA American after what I would say was dragging their feet for some time, quickly responded with an enhanced comprehensive proposal. Well, they have that opportunity again. And, and, you know, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what they may think they have for us, because um, if, it, if it doesn't meet and match towards the promises that we've been told of an industry leading contract of our, of our employees not being left behind, um, then, then we're gonna have some very serious discussions and you will be the first to know about it in that regard. But I have good hopes. I think that they have a, an attitude of wanting to get things done. It makes sense, they need to get things done. If I was a, a, a person considering what airline I wanna go to, it's not really hard to go, that one's paying 35% more. Why wouldn't I go over there? And in fact, you know, there are people that may be on our list even to this day that if Delta calls them tomorrow, that's a tough decision. Yeah, I lose some seniority, but how quickly do I gain it back with a 35% pay differential? So these are things that we've impressed upon the company. I think the company realizes. To that end, uh, we are continuing to collate our data, looking towards getting uh, um, um, the language from the Delta deal as well, and then having meetings with the company throughout uh, the next few weeks, throughout January, and, and really seeing where uh, where it's going to go and what what level of work is going to be required to bring to your board and eventually you that industry leading contract. All right, thanks, Chris. We'll go to questions now. Are we addressing the Group One rate in this negotiation? Yes. What? What? Yes. Easy enough. Uh, if a trip is canceled, your pay should have been locked. Uh, sh should have been locked. I guess we locked in, and you shouldn't be subject to RO. Can we be pay protected without RO? Are we looking at trying to get rejoined with your original sequence when it's disrupted? I'm reading the question. Um, you should have been locked and you shouldn't be subject to RO. Unfortunately, that's not what the contract says. Unfortunately, that's not what this association has negotiated previously. Previously, this, this, this association did not have any form of sequence protection. If you got yourself in a situation that now generates RO, tough luck. Uh, we'll get you back home, uh, but your, your, your proj and your credit are down to a certain point. It's up to you to go find something up to make your monthly amount. This association felt that that was unfair and that we should have protection for the sequences that we bid in PBS in order to make the paycheck. And the give was then the company can recover that, ex that pay that they are paying you through recovery obligation procedures that we have now. However, the way that it's implemented, the way that it's used excessively, the fact that the, the, the amount of mix that we have that generate RO, our contactability for RLR, or replacement flying window, I can go on and on and on. All of those things are excessive and make your life miserable. The company used a term, operational excellence. That's what they strive for. And they understood that it was linked to pilot quality of life. And so we're going to continue to pull upon that thread because we agree with them. Your quality of life goes up when you're not constantly subject to RO or to reassignment or to having your trips break apart and not knowing what you're doing. And so we're going, to, we're going to continue to look for measures by which we can give the company the opportunity to get that RO for that sequence protection that was negotiated, but not leave you hanging for days on end, for hours on end, for them to go move on, 
now that pilot's been released and later on if they want to pick up something or whatever else that they choose they can do that but they know where their life is and where it's going um, are we looking to try and get rejoined with your original sequence when it's disrupted uh, yes that is one mechanism i would suggest that you give feedback to your board members on what you prefer because some pilots would rather be rejoined on their original sequence and some pilots would rather be paid a premium for the entire time of RO and not worry about rejoining on their sequence. And obviously that very much differs on what you bid and what you're doing and, and whatnot. And so we are looking at that, but we don't want to do is bend the association into one position that works for some, but not for others. All right. Next question. Why don't we just copy, uh, copy and paste Delta's contract if we are omitting anything they have or are getting? Why? Okay, um, if we are omitting anything they have or are getting why? Uh, I, I don't know that we are omitting anything that they have or are getting, so I can't tell you why. Um, why don't we just copy Delta's, copy and paste Delta's contract? That's another question. If that's what the pilot group wanted, I think the company would love to do that, frankly. But that's not what the pilot group should want, okay? There are plenty of aspects of Delta's contract that I don't think this pilot group wants nor should want. There are aspects in the Delta TA bullets where they straight up say they did not achieve all the things they hope to negotiate. We are going to continue to press forth with all of the items that you have asked for, all of the items that our board has tasked us for. And that goes above and beyond just simply copying and pasting Delta's contract. Hey, and Chris, if I can add something onto that too, I'm sorry to interrupt you, sir, you're doing a great job. But hey, let's remember Delta's contract in American Airlines management's hands is gonna be implemented completely differently. I just give our, our, our goofballs up there a, a second to work their way around the Delta language. And Delta found out the weaknesses of their language real quickly over this past summer when they didn't have a lot of the protections that they needed in place and their pilots were being run to the ground. Secondly, I would hope and I, I think, Chris, you could probably, you know, you could probably nail this. We should want more than Delta's got. God, guys, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit back and just ride their coattails. We should be pushing the industry forward. Anyway, Chris, I'm going to hand it back to you. Ed, you're exactly, exactly right. We gave them an opportunity to get to a targeted approach early such that we could reenter after a Delta contract. They failed in that endeavor. I know that, that, that you know it's claimed that we've 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 failed in everything else. I need a willing partner at the table that wants to move the ball. And it seems that the company only wants to move the ball after someone else is gone. And they're watching to see what the other two do, what 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 Mr. Bashan and Mr. Kirby do, and then then we get a move. Well, th there's a cost to that. We expect that every contract should build upon the other. Okay, mediators understand this. It's known in the industry, so that's what they're going to have to deal with. All right, next question, and this kind of ties into what we we're just talking about. Are we looking at Delta sick policy as a nine-year pilot under Delta system? I would have 240 hours each year to use towards my sick with the 240 hours resetting uh, every year. At present, we're not really looking at Delta sick policy because I don't believe that we've been tasked to. Uh, as a nine-year pilot, with my quick pilot math, you, you could have 540 hours in the bank. So what do you say to your fellow nine-year pilot that hasn't used a stitch of sick and we're going to go to Delta's policy? Where does that 540 hours go? It becomes 
tough questions. What do you say to the person who saved their sick all through their career and they're about to retire? What do we do with that? You know, and if you if you say, well, it's very simple, just pay me out dollar for dollar, it becomes a very expensive proposition. And we don't know that all of our pilots want to go under this structure. There, there are broad differences between the two. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't figure out ways to capture more value for sick. That doesn't mean that we can't come up with mechanisms that acknowledge that our sick policy came out at a time when pilots were flying 64 to 75 hours you know, credited in a month, and now we're giving them way more productivity. We need sick time to at least match that because we're putting in the work. It should be at a rate based on that. Southwest has a very simple model based just, just on that. Do the extra work, get the extra sick, okay? Um, and so these are things that we are definitely looking at. To switch wholesale over to deltas, um, I, it could be done. The other part I want you guys to understand is, is there's a function of time. You want a contract and you want it sooner rather than later. If we start going to a lot of these delta type policies that may have limited gain in value right now, but may take months to figure out how to integrate program, et cetera, are we getting a good rate of return on our negotiating capital? Now, if this is something we want to pursue, maybe it's in an iterative contract because I, you know, I've heard it before. I don't personally believe this. Maybe I'm optimistic. Maybe I'm naive, but this is not going to be the last contract I want to work under. I want to get us on that iterative process for contracts so that we can be responsive to the pilot group and continue to make improvements throughout the life of the pilot's career. Next, when do we start negotiations with the company? How many times per week will APA meet with the company when we start negotiating? Okay, well, we're already meeting with the company. We haven't stopped. Uh, how many times per week? It, it varies. Um, it, it's, not a form, it's not a formulaic type of thing where we will meet these three days and then we will go back these three days. They're, they're definitely back and forth and understand that, that sometimes when we send things over to the company, it takes time for them to bring them back or they claim it takes time for them to bring it back. Um, so uh, it, my personal opinion is that we wanna meet with the company multiple weeks in a month. We wanna meet with the company multiple days in a week. Some of those sessions can be so brief as to we're gonna read you our past and what we want, go, go, go talk to somebody to figure out what, when you're gonna say yes. And some of them may be knock down, drag out eight hour sessions. I've been through both over the past two and a half years. Um, and. and uh, the one thing that has been common and continues to be common is that the APA negotiating committee, the negotiating department, our staff, any national officer, and frankly, the board, if we need them to come in, is at the ready to move this ball. We are not and will not be the thing that slows down negotiations. Next, is there anything you can tell us about a hopeful timeline for a contract or if one doesn't materialize, how long until we could file for mediation? I don't really want to speculate on either of these. Um, Mr. Parker once famously said, for shame if we don't have a contract by the amendable date. Um, that amendable date was how long ago now? 1 January 2020, folks. It's on the banner of our, of our negotiating website, how many days? And, and it's aware, and I see it. And I understand, and I understand the pressure, but I want to get it right. I don't want to make mistakes, and I want it to be in line with what you all deserve. I want it to be industry leading. So for me to promise a date, uh, look, good, fast, or cheap, this isn't going to be a cheap contract, and it's going to be a good contract. 
and we're going to do everything we can to get it as quickly as possible. And the heat will really be on when that Delta language comes out and if or when they ratify. All right. And we will work diligently until we get there. As to mediation, uh, I don't want to really want to comment about that, um, but uh, we're well aware about it. The company is well aware that that's how Delta eventually got to their outcome. They, they were on a little bit different timeline than us. They were a year behind us in negotiations. Um, and and we, we will use everything that the law has provided for us under the RLA in order to advance our contract. Next, management refuses to lead the industry in negotiating an end uh, to our contract crisis. Can we please hold them accountable by ensuring that for 2023, we do get retro pay from January 1st for management failure to take responsibility and finish negotiations? Yes, absolutely. Um, I assume that you mean retro pay to one January plus retroactive pay all the way back to that amendable date in some form, yes? Because what you've seen in the Delta deal is a mediated decision that shows companies, if you draw out contract negotiations, you owe retroactive for doing so. And we are going to pursue that with vigor to have the same as Delta for what is appropriate to our period of negotiations and retroactivity. Hey, Chris, and there's, there's a, a couple of questions here in the Q&A. Um, so I'll sort of compile them and ask, is there anything you can say on the group three pay bucket for 321 XLR 737 max? That I can say on the group three pay bucket, you're kind of bidding a solution there. What I can say is that it was an emphasis item from our membership and an emphasis item for the board, that the way in which our company is using those aircraft you named uh, go above and beyond the traditional group two role. And as such, the pilots flying those planes should be paid towards the flying that they are replicating. And we absolutely have that tasking. What that final structure looks like is going to be a, a, a subject of intense negotiation. All right. Thank you, Chris. And uh, bringing us home, family awareness, Captain Jerry Gemma. for the delay you got me uh we can hear you can't see you but yeah jerry go okay great sorry um i just wanted to say one quick thing i know that um we have a new program that we're starting finney flight it's a retirement flight celebration at the end of uh, a retiring pilot's flight uh, last flight we've not done it before chief pilots have been doing it we and they're dropping the ball we think it's very important for us to celebrate somebody that's been here for many years and everything they've done for us. So we're looking for volunteers. We don't have enough. Um, we're, we're retiring about 40 pilots a week. So we need uh, a lot of volunteers. We're gonna meet them and have a celebration at the gate. Uh, it, it's gonna take some um, uh, organization, but we've got Finney Flight at Allied Pilots. Uh, org is an email if you're interested in either having a final flight celebration or you're interested in helping to organize a, um, a volunteer to uh, to carry that off. We'd appreciate that. Also, Sun and Fun is coming up March 
29th through April 2nd. Uh, it's a week-long air show in Lakeland, Florida. Many people know about it. We've done many things just like at Oshkosh and Reno. Uh, if you are planning on camping out there, we are going to organize a group campsite. So uh, look out for that com out, uh, coming out as well. All right. Very good, Jerry. I hope to be there myself. Um, so this wraps up the official portion of it. There's one more question in here. And uh, Ed, if you can jump back on, uh, there's actually a couple questions, but I'll, I'll sort of loop them all together. If you can see them in Q&A, can you just address the issue with uh, special assignments? Sure, sure, Chris. Uh, look, I, I sent out a letter to everybody that we found that was on SA. Uh, originally, I had asked everybody to just stop doing SA. The reason for that is We've got dozens and dozens of members that are taking time away from flying to perform SA work while we are systematically being denied union leave to do essential functions. The board deliberated over my decision here at the last board meeting, the SBOD meeting that we just had, and they decided that, that my decision to withdraw uh, or at least encourage withdrawal of SA was justified with the one exception of the PBS help desk. The PBS help desk is the desk that goes ahead and assists our own members in answering questions on PBS. It's paid for by the company. Uh, I, I didn't want to get into the weeds on what I thought was benefiting us and benefiting management. The bottom line is, while, while some guys are on SA, uh, you know, some guys and girls are now doing work for management, and sometimes for the pilot group, other guys or girls are being denied uh, their SA, or excuse me, their union lead to perform essential factors. Right now, we're still targeting all the SA except for PBS. That's the PLM, human factors. Management's got other beneficial stuff. They take guys off the seniority list for regularly, not seniority list, excuse me, off of uh, active duty line flying. For instance, uh, the member that went ahead and formulated all those AOM changes. Remember those, or you're probably still seeing them. That guy was off for months to formulate those AOM changes, to uh, go ahead and perform a service for management while we were being denied union leave. For example, I, and I use this over and over again, but Anne-Marie Tazar could not attend an FPC for a pilot that was in a Jeopardy event, his last chance before he got fired in the simulator. I, I've, got, I've got safety personnel that can't get necessary leave to go to training because they're continuously denied paid union leave. I've got domicile reps that are denied paid union leave to represent you, each and every one of us at that table. They, they bring our concerns to the negotiating team. At the same time, I've got hundreds and hundreds of hours every month that are being paid out in SA because management goes ahead and decides they're going to pull people off the, the line flying to go ahead and perform stuff that benefits them. So that, that, that uh, decision to go ahead and stop doing SA is still in place. I can't dictate it, I don't control it, but I sure, certainly can encourage our union members from stepping back from that until the systematic denial of paid union leave stops. Uh, Chris, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see, so there's one more question on there. Chris Walker, if you grab the question in the Q&A um, regarding pilots that retired and receiving retro pay, I, I don't know that that one has been answered. Um, but that will bring us to the end of the official questions. Uh, thank you, everybody, for participating, for attending. Um, and uh, again, we'll be back in February. So thanks all.